Father, I want to thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I want to thank you that you love us, that you care for us. And Father, I pray for our children. I pray that they would know you. Lord, I want to really pray that they would have your wisdom, your guidance, your protection, your love throughout all of their days. And I pray even at this young age in junior church that they would discover the amazing goodness of God. And Father, for us this morning as we look at Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, I pray that you would help us and that you would give us wisdom in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. We started it last week. If you missed last week, then do go online. We do have a podcast. So if you have any podcasting app and you look for Hope Church UK, you will find us or you'll find all of our messages are on our website. We do that so folks can listen to it. We only do audio for the simple reason it's much easier. You can put it on in your car stereo. You can listen to it while you're cooking or if you want to try and get to sleep really quick, you might want to listen to me preaching. Uh, whichever way you want to do it, it's just useful to have things that we can look at. I do want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, whether it's digital or physical, because it's good, because we're going to read the Bible together. I will be in these weeks mostly reading from the NLT, which is the New Living Translation, not because I think it's the best translation, but I think it is the easiest to understand and is therefore a really good one to read. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to carry on from where we left off. We're going to start at verse 18, and I'm going to read through to verse 24. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, this next section that we've just read has really three players in the scene. We've got Mary, we've got Joseph, and we've got the Holy Spirit. Any idea how old Mary would have been? Yeah, 12 to 14. Have we got any 12 to 14-year-old girls here this morning? Can you just stand up for a moment? If you're in that bracket, 12 to 14, I just want you to stand up for a minute. You can stand. Let them all see your pretty... Now, just can you just turn around a sec? This would have been the age that Mary was at. Just think about that for a moment. Yeah. Wasn't a politician... 
wasn't a graduate from Oxford University. She was a teenager aged 12 to 14. Thank you, girls. Give them a round of applause. They looked so good standing there. Now, in our culture, we would find it a bit weird that somebody aged 12 to 14 was given in marriage. But if you've got teenage daughters, you might be really happy for them to leave the house quicker. Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. That should have been my inside quiet voice. But in Mary's age, you know, in terms of the period that she lived in in the culture, it was fairly normal at that age for girls to be betrothed and to get married. Now, we don't know very much about Joseph. Very little beyond what we've got here in the text is written. Uh, he would definitely have been older. He may have been 20 or he may have been 30. We don't know how old he was. Uh, quite a few scholars believe that Joseph died before Jesus started his ministry. This is simply because he's not mentioned anywhere else. He would have been there, he would have had involvement as the father, but the lack of him being involved means the likelihood is he would have died before that period. We are told that he was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was a guy who was concerned about doing the right thing. And we kind of see that because Mary being pregnant 2,000 years ago had a consequence. Any idea what that consequence would have been? Why? If you weren't married and you were pregnant, it was seen you committed adultery and the Jewish law said you were to be stoned to death. So Mary had that future possibly before her, but really it would have been Joseph had he made that public that would have condemned her to death. So we see in him not wanting to do that, that he was a good man. He wanted to divorce her quietly because he didn't want to put her to shame and certainly didn't want to see her put to death. We also see the operation of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get into the long and short of it, how Mary's egg was fertilized. But the simple thing is this, that God did not have sex with Mary. It says very clearly there that she was a virgin, but she was pregnant. God supernaturally made sure the egg was fertilized without any need of sex, because God is able to do that. We also find that there is a prophecy. One of the things you'll find repeatedly throughout the Gospels is that it has this little phrase, this took place to fulfill. And it starts right here in verse 23. Look, a virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, that prophecy was some 700 years earlier. So what, what are we finding here? We're finding here that as we looked last week, that God's plan cannot be thwarted no matter what happens in what generation. Here again, we see that God has a plan for Jesus, the Messiah, to be born. And it happens according to God's plan that was set in place and prophesied 700 years earlier. I think that's quite amazing. This was to fulfill what God had already planned. And in fact, the plan for the Messiah to come was 2,000 years before 
Jesus was actually born. That's how long ago Jesus spoke. He spoke it 2,000 years before Jesus' birth that he would come to the earth. These are not random coincidences. They're not, not, they're not random actions. They are things that show that God has a plan and his plan will be at work. One of the things I want you to see as we start to go through these Gospels is nothing is by accident. God's got a plan. I tell you, I'm reading through this. I'm thinking, you know what? The world is going nuts, but I am glad that God has a plan and his plan is going to stand. Nothing will change it. Absolutely nothing will change it. But here's the challenge of this text. God's call is not easy. You know, the story shows the, the miraculous arrival of Jesus. And we only ever read this during Christmas. And we think, oh yeah, the little baby and in a manger and all this stuff. The, the, the long-awaited, anointed Messiah has come. And yet, the process by which he came can't have been easy for Mary and Joseph. I want you to imagine for a moment, you go back 2,000 years and you're Mary, that's easy for you guys to do, or you're Joseph, I want you just to think for a moment of the consequences that God's call has on your life in seeing the Messiah come to pass. We tend to think it's always easy, but it's never easy. Let's think about Mary for a moment. We remember the story in the other Gospels where the angel visited Mary and said to her, you're going to have a child. She goes, how can that be? I'm a virgin. She says, well, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the child born to you will be the Messiah. What does she do? She says, let it be done to me according to God's plan, according to God's word, let it be done. But she did it knowing that accepting God's plan for her life could mean she gets stoned to death. Oh, hold on a minute. I thought that God's plan is just blessing for me. No. God's plan for your life may mean it ends early. We kind of don't preach about that, and yet we know when we read through Scripture, it's there. John the Baptist, well, he died early. Jesus, well, he died early. So there's this challenge that when God calls us, it's not easy. And then you've got to think, not just could it end in death, but also the great likelihood is that if she goes up to Joseph with a big belly, hey dude, when we get married, he might say, I'm not sure I want to marry you. I think that you've been unfaithful. So this thing impacted her relationship and her future of getting married. He could easily have ended the engagement. Not only that, he could have done it publicly and so had her executed. Mary's choice had a long-term consequence. One of the things that amazes me is that Mary accepting Jesus changed her life forever. I want you to think about it. She had to watch him grow up, start his ministry, watch him being ill-treated and finally crucified. She had to go through all of that. He was 33 years, so for 33 years, she was part of all of that and what followed. Her choice in accepting Jesus meant that her life was now forever changed. Let me ask you this morning, 
in your acceptance of Jesus, are you happy for your life to be forever changed? For it maybe to have some hardships that you didn't have. For maybe it to have some consequences that you didn't think about. What about Joseph? Well, we know that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a moral man. When he found out that Mary was pregnant, he wanted to divorce her. Now, as an aside note, I want to talk to you about marriage in Jewish culture for a moment. There were two components. There was the betrothal, like an engagement, and then there was the marriage. But the betrothal had two stages. The first stage was you choose your partner. And it was not like here in the UK where you go out and say, oh, I like you, do you like me, let's get married. It was two families choosing who they would marry. It was more like an Asian marriage than it was anything like a British marriage. So the betrothal, you choose the partner, and then you enter into a legally binding contract. You see, here in the UK, when you get engaged, you can call off the engagement. In Jewish culture, when you were engaged, you were effectively married, which is why, if you look at the scripture, um, he is already called husband in the verses that we were reading. The wedding ceremony was essentially the public bit to celebrate something that had already occurred. And so for Joseph, he's in this situation where he likes this woman, he wants to get married to this woman, she's very evidently now pregnant. What does he do? I love verse 20. Verse 20 says, uh, where are we? Let me find it again. As he considered this. Can you imagine for a moment? You found this woman. You've agreed to get married. You've gone through all the legalities and then you find out she's pregnant. I mean, considering is probably a really mild term for what was going through his mind. She's been unfaithful. Oh, what do I do? Now, Here's the good news, that in all of this, God came to the rescue. Now, but I want you to note something, that God coming to the rescue didn't make it any easier. What it did do was help him to understand what was going on. God said to him, she's not been unfaithful, this is the work of God in her body. And so he was assured that he had a faithful wife. But to all the world, to the outsiders, can you imagine your daughter comes home pregnant? God did it. The world's not going to believe that. And so for Joseph, the challenge is in following God's will for his life, which is to be the father of the Messiah, means that he has to take on a disgrace. Because even though they would have had the wedding ceremony, they say, hey, up, look, she's, she's got a big bump that she shouldn't have. And so his family would have been recognised that either he made her pregnant and they're quickly getting the marriage done, or she'd been unfaithful, but all of it was going to have the effect that his family name is going to be tainted. Now, we don't associate those things with the call of God. You know, in our modern Christianity, we kind of think, well, well, no, God will call us to good things, to blessings, to amazing things. Let me tell you, that is not true. Because God's call is dependent not on what you want, but on his plan, and that was being outworked. 
It wasn't God saying, well, Mary and Joseph, I want to bless you with a child. No, God saying, hey guys, I've got a plan. I set it into motion 2,000 years ago. I prophesied it 700 years ago. And I want you to be part of that plan. Are you in or are you out? Oh, by the way, if you come in, it might have a few negative consequences in your friendship circle, your society. It might kill you, certainly going to cause you some anxiety and pain through the years. And to me, that's what's so amazing about Mary and Joseph. They said yes. She was a teenager. She said yes. You know, all of it highlights that it's God's plan, God's plan, and not our plan. And what, what makes it even more, for Joseph, what makes it even more poignant is that as soon as God spoke to him, he got up the next day and he married her. He didn't dither. He didn't go away and say, I need a week's holiday to work this out. He heard God and he acted on what God said, no matter what the consequences would be. You know, I think God is looking for people who are willing at the cost to themselves to say, I'll follow you, God. I will be part of your plan no matter what happens. It's quite easy to be a fair weather Christian. You know, I have to be honest, over 30 years of ministry, I've come across enough of fair-weather Christians. When everything's fine, they're worshipping in church, etc., when something goes wrong, they're angry at God. Why did you let this? Why did you let that? Well, he already said, he said, in this life, you will have much trouble. I mean, let's face it, Jesus himself did not have an easy life. But here we have two individuals, Mary and Joseph. Two amazing individuals who were willing to put their lives and their reputation on the line. But the most interesting thing is they were going to put it on the line, not so that they would benefit, but so that God's purposes would stand. Every true act, every true missionary act is simply there for God's plan, not for the benefit of the missionary. There are some, if you go back, who wrote their will and testimonies and took their coffins with them because they knew they weren't returning. They're part of the plan of God. You know, we sang this amazing song this morning, We Are Here For You. You know, we sing it so glibly, We're here for you, we're here for you. Well, what if it's we're here for you for persecution? What if it's we're here for you so things don't go as easily. And so there is a challenge. God doesn't call us to an easy life. Remember always, it's God's plan, not our plan. Many people are happy to fulfill the things of God if they benefit. You know, if, if the people in their circles will benefit, if it's their loved ones or their church or their nation. But Mary and Joseph, they were willing for God to be the only one who benefits. They carried the cost. Now, we often don't think of that. You know, having children is hard work. Anybody else think having children's hard work? Wow, loads of hands. It's okay, guys, you'll know that in another 20 years. It's hard work. And, and they, they had to raise the Messiah. 
they had him. And even though it was an amazing privilege and calling, it was a massive challenge for them. And here's, here's the thing that would have probably blown them away the most. You've got to think for 2,000 years, they've had this ongoing prophetic stuff about the Messiah coming. They knew he was going to come. They knew that the Messiah was coming and they had all the predictions. All the predictions were made that said that this is the Messiah, he's going to come. And yet when the Messiah came, it was nothing like the predictions. I mean, it was so off kilter that all the religious leaders who knew their Old Testament and the law back to front, they all missed it. In fact, they crucified the Messiah because they said, he can't come the way that you're coming. I wonder what that does about our end time prophetic words and predictions. I tell you, be a bit cautious about what you watch and hear. I think it will take us all by surprise. And even though... For Mary and Joseph, the coming of the Messiah was nothing like it was predicted by the culture of the day. They still agreed to be part of the fulfillment of that prophetic word from God. Now, Mary and Joseph were called to be part of the greatest event in history. I know we could argue maybe the greatest event is Easter. Well, they're both equally great events because without the birth, there would be no Easter. But they were part of something that has gone down in history as one of the greatest events. And even though we live in a very godless united kingdom where we've changed everything, our time that we are in 2023, even though they've changed it, it still originally refers to the birth of Christ. We are now 2,023 years after the birth of Jesus. His birth was so significant that we zeroed out the years. Let's start again from this point. This is such a significant point. Every year going on is going to be a reminder that at that event, God sent the Messiah, who it says came to die for our sins, and everything will roll forward from there. And when somebody says to you, what date is it? The date will remind you that this is now 2,023 years after this amazing birth of Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that God chose Mary and Joseph. Even the religious leaders did not believe it. But a teenager, she believed it. A carpenter, he believed it. I wonder what God has in store for your life. You know, Jeremiah the prophet says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for your good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for your life. If you are following Jesus, if you said, I will follow Jesus, there is a plan of God for your life. And let me tell you, it can start as young as 13. And if you go into the Old Testament, it can start as young as seven. But the plan, and let me be really clear this morning, is not your plan. It's God's plan. I have seen over the years so many ministries that are built and that grow and all those things, but quite often they are man's plans. They're not God's. When God has a plan, he works it through, and what we do, we do our part in that plan. I mean, Joseph, we only know in kind of what? 
10, 12 verses, that's all that we know. But he fulfilled what he was supposed to do. It's not about 40 years of ministry. John the Baptist, the greatest Old Testament prophet, he had a six-month ministry. That was it, six months, and then off with his head. It's not about how long, it's about what God says and being a part of that. I would much rather have one day that fulfills what God does than 40 years of whatever else. God knows what he's doing. In Isaiah 55, he says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So here's the thing. Maybe we need to stop telling God what he should do. Have you noticed how much of our praying is concerned, God, can you do this, can you do that, can you do this? I mean, think about it for a moment. We are talking to the creator of the universe, the one who designed your body, every molecule. He designed how the arteries work, how the heart works, how the kidneys. He designed how your eye works. I mean, we still don't know what the brain does. And we're coming to this creator and saying, well, I think you should do this. I mean, God could quite rightly laugh and say, what are you on about? I mean, it would be like a worm coming up to you and saying, hey, dude, I think this is what you should be doing. And we're going, listen, Mr. Worm, you really don't have the capacity that I do, and I don't think you should be telling me what to do. It should be more me giving you some wisdom. And so we need to really think about where we fit into God's plan. Mary and Joseph couldn't have planned this, but when the call came, they were willing. Matthew 9, 38 says, So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. God wants every one of you to fulfill his purposes in your generation. And let me tell you, you may not fully understand it. I doubt that Joseph fully understood the consequence of what he did. We, we know it 2,000 years later. I don't think even Mary did. But we know. But they fulfilled it within their lifetime. They fulfilled it without all the technology that we have, without all the comforts that we have. And at great cost, they had to flee from their home, they had to go to Egypt, then they had to come back, and then they had to settle in another place, and then they had the, the ongoing thing of raising the Messiah. Are you willing to be like Mary and like Joseph, who are willing to be part of God's plan, not for personal benefit and also at considerable cost, but they were willing? And the encouraging thing is, Mary and Joseph are just like you. They're just like Florence and Zoe. That's, that's what Mary was like. That's it. Joseph was a working class guy. Did stuff with his hands. Created things. Bit like Les or like John as an engineer or carpenter, you know. Did those things. The stuff that you do with, with carpets and stuff over the years. That's what he was like. He was just an ordinary guy. And yet, he was amazing. He wasn't a theologian. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't rich. Maybe he was talented. I don't know what his tables were like. Ordinary, simple people who are saying, you know what, Lord, I will serve you. And let me tell you, that's where it's not rocket science. 
When God calls you, you will know. The question is, will you be like them to say yes? And now, for the rest of eternity, they are known as Jesus' parents. Mary has a special place. She is called in Greek, this is a, a brilliant phrase, she is called Theotokos. She is Theotokos. What does it mean? It means she is the mother of God. I mean, wow! A 12 to 14 year old is Theotokos, the mother of God. Could you imagine if we had an application, right? We want, we want to choose somebody to be the mother of God. Can you imagine what the applications look like? I don't know if you've ever read through what some churches, every so often I read through um, what churches put into their requirement for a pastor. I especially like reading the American ones because they make me laugh the most. But I tell you, not even Jesus could apply. They'd look and say, I'm really sorry, mate, but you don't qualify of being a pastor because this is what we need. And you know what? God has a really, really simple criteria. He is looking for willing people. He's not looking for you to be educated. He's not looking for you to be well qualified. He's looking for you simply to say, I will. Let's pray.